We've been talking about Elijah and Elisha, and I want to continue looking in 2 Kings. We're going to look at chapter 4 again, but this time we're going to look at uh, Elisha and the Shunammite woman. And uh, it was some, over a month or so ago, the Lord told me he wanted me to go to uh, 2 Kings and start reading again because there were some things that he wanted to show me. So I uh, started reading again and just saying, all right, Lord, what is it that you want me to see? And I believe one of the big things that the Lord showed me, and I talked about this last week, you see from 1 Kings to 2 Kings a shift from Elijah to Elisha. Elijah was a prophet that was declaring Israel was in a backslidden condition and Elijah was coming and he was saying repent and he was calling people out. I mean, it was, it was serious. You see uh, in 1 Kings, Elijah, when he came against the uh, prophets of Baal, you remember that? You familiar with that? He, came, he, he went to the Ahab, who was the king of Israel, and he said, man, you've went away from God. You're chasing other gods. You've went away from the living God. And he said, uh, we're going to, we're going to, have a contest, pretty much is what he said. He said, you get all your prophets, over 400 prophets, and you come, and you pray to your God, and you ask him, and we're going to both uh, prepare sacrifices, and you ask your God to come. And Elijah was a compassionate man, not at all. He was not compassionate. And when they came, and they tried to make their sacrifice, he said, maybe your God's gone to the bathroom, he laughed at them. He said, maybe you should uh, cry a little louder. Maybe you should cut yourself because he's not listening. And, and nothing happened. And then Elijah called on the God of heaven. And here's what's so amazing. If you know what's going on, they were in the middle of a drought. And I, Elijah had prophesied the drought. He went to Ahab. He said, the reason there's going to be a drought is because you've turned from God. So there had been a drought. And Elijah's there. And he says, he took water. What was pre- in, a, in a drought, what's precious? water. And as I was studying this, they say there on Mount Carmel where this took place, they believe close to where it was, there was a natural spring that would still have water. But this that was most precious to them in a drought, he took and he just poured it on his sacrifice. He also made a sacrifice in, in wood and he poured water on the, the, uh, the sacrifice, the animal and the wood. And then he called on the God of heaven. And what did God answer with? Fire. Fire. You know, I wonder... I wonder, this is just letting you in my mind. I wonder if it was fire that fell down or a bolt of lightning. Because what does lightning make? Fire. It makes fire, and it's powerful. And I know this, lightning can lick up water. So I'm just wondering, Elijah's there, and he calls on the God of heaven, and all of a sudden, because what is lightning? Man, there's thunder, right? Come on, work with me. Yes, there's thunder. There's lightning. There's thunder. On, on the day that Jesus was crucified, it says the noonday became what? Night. And it was thundering and lightnings. It was going on when Jesus paid that, the ultimate price for our sin. There was thundering and there were lightning. So God's not afraid to make some noise. That's why I'm amazed that church sometimes is so quiet. God is not afraid to make noise. He's good at making noise. He's really good at making noise. And so I, he answered, and I, I could just see in my mind's eye, I could see Elijah calling to God of heaven, and everybody's looking because they had just built on a display for nothing. It was quiet. It was crickets, about like this. <laughs> then all of a sudden, couldn't you hear? Bam! And then the fire, everything catches on fire, and everybody goes, oh, snap. That's a God right there. You know what I'm saying? Not just, not that, not being melodramatic, not just that fire wouldn't be impressive that if fire came down, 
But I'm saying if lightning struck the ground right on the altar and everything erupted, I'm like, that would get people's attention. That would rally people to want to do something. And they, and they did something. They killed all the prophets, the false prophets. So this is Elijah who came. He brought judgment because they were in sin and walked away. That's why John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah because where was Israel when Jesus came in the same condition? They had turned from God. You know, it's amazing to me as I was studying, and this is a little side note, just a little about Bible history. When Saul, who the people chose to be king, when he took, he came king, when he became king, he had no desire for the Ark of the Covenant. It had been captured. Israel went into war when they weren't supposed to. The Ark of the Covenant had been captured. The Philistines had it. Saul had no desire for the presence of the Lord. All he wanted was authority. But David, as soon as he came in, he said, I can't rule without the presence of the Lord. I think that's why David was a man after God's heart. It wasn't, you know, it's been said David knew how to repent. There's other men who knew how to repent. I think with David, the difference was David was a pursuer of the presence of God. You don't know what makes a difference in our lives. You know what sets us apart from other people who, and listen, this is not judgmental. I'm not condemning or anything. I'm just locating. What makes, there's so many people that go to church and call themselves Christians. I used to tell our young people, going to church, sitting in church every Sunday doesn't make you a Christian anymore than sitting at McDonald's and make you a hamburger. But when you meet someone who's a pursuer of his presence, there's a tangible difference of those people. David was that person. David was so adamant about getting the presence of the Lord back, he did it wrong. He heard how the Philistines had done it on a cart, how they got it to uh, Obed-Edom's house, was on an ox cart, and David said, we'll just go do the same thing they did. He was so hungry for the Lord, he did it wrong. You know what? I believe God's looking for those people. Now, David repented and he did it right. It doesn't mean God says, just do it however you want to, but God is not afraid of our mistakes. He's looking for some people who will pursue him with everything they've got. And if they stumble and fall, you know what? Momentum will carry them forward and they'll get up and they'll just keep going. I, I can remember right before my wife made me quit playing softball. <laughs> because I broke my jaw playing softball. <laughs> for those wondering how he pulled his card, she pulled his card. No, I broke my jaw playing softball. It was amazing. But... Uh, Right before she did, I can remember that there was one time I was running the bases and I got so ahead of myself. It's embarrassing. I was running so hard, I got ahead of myself and just fell forwards. And momentum carried me to the base, but I was running so fast, I just, I, my head was ahead of my feet and it wasn't catching up. I was like this and I just fell over to the base and I got, I'm like, hallelujah, that's humbling. But I, momentum carried me forward. I think God loves us so much that if we are chasing after him and his presence, that he says, I can make room for your mistakes. He doesn't condone them, but what he says is, I'm bigger than that and I won't condemn you. David was running after the presence of the Lord. When he messed up, he went back and he said, this can't be done by the strength of men. It's gotta be carried on worship. You know who had to carry it back? Worshippers. The priests were the only ones that could carry it. The worshipers had to carry the presence of the Lord back to Israel where it belonged, to Jerusalem where it belonged. And as they carried it in, what did David do? He danced with all his might. He danced like he, like 
nobody's business he danced with all that he had. And he said, his wife condemned him and he said, baby, you hadn't seen anything yet. Why? Because he knew it was the presence of the Lord that makes a difference. Now, I'm gonna tell you the same thing in our lives. It's the presence of the Lord. Well, how do you get that? The only way you can get the presence of the Lord is the same way with, with a person, a physical person, is you have to be with them. <laughs> it's not complicated. As we spend time with him, and that happens, you know, it can happen in the most simple form. It can happen by beginning a time of devotion. It can happen by beginning a time of prayer that you set apart and you say, God, I'm going to spend this time with you. It doesn't have to be this big thing. It doesn't have to be that you start out and you say, okay, I'm going to spend an hour a day in prayer. You know what you'll do? For the most part, you'll spend five or 10 minutes in prayer and 45 minutes in soaking or sleeping before the Lord. It happens. But you know what? I don't think God goes, I'm done with you. I think what God does is, look at that. Hey, 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 look. They're trying. They're going after it. And you know what? It's 10 minutes today. You watch. Next week, it'll be 20. You watch. Just watch. That's my child. I know what's in them. I know what's in them. You just keep watching. The world may mock you. The world may say, no, it's not going to happen. But I believe in heaven, we have an advocate with the Father, the man Christ Jesus. And he's going, watch. That's my child. They have my DNA in them. There's no failure in them. (laughs) That's so good. That's his heart toward us. And as we pursue him, as we give opportunity to just be with him, and it it, it looks different as it develops, but just with the heart intention, it says, God, I'm going after you. I want you more than I want anything else. I must have you. And as we do that, we make room for him. That's exactly what Tish was talking about. When we do that, you know what we do? We make room and we honor the Lord. You know, Psalm says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Can we, by putting our attention on God, make God bigger than he already is? No. So that magnification takes place where? In me. Because the more I see how big my God is and how great my God is, the, everything else that I've been looking at begins to take on true perspective. It doesn't even shrink. We've, I've said myself, it shrinks. No, it doesn't shrink. It takes on true perspective that God is so much bigger that it just looks minuscule. And that's what he's blessed us with, the ability to set our eyes on him. And here in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha, who came, as I was saying earlier, Elijah came Uh, He is a type of the old covenant. Elisha is a type of the new covenant of God bringing grace and mercy and uh, of walking among us. And that's what Elisha did. And we see in 2 Kings chapter 4, if you look in verse 8, it says, now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem where there was a notable woman. That means she was wealthy and well thought of. And she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there, a table and a chair and a lampstand. So it will be when he comes to us, he can turn in there. Literally, when he comes, so he can have a place to rest. He can have a place to rest. So 
What was she talking about? She saw Elijah coming by. She un- Elisha coming by. She understood that he was a holy man of God, that he was a man that honored God with his life. And she said, we're so blessed. I want to honor him and I want to bless him. So she compelled Elisha, come in. Come in. Let's look at that in context of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. If we take time to say, Holy Spirit, this is your temple. This is your house. I want to make time to honor you in this place. I want to have a part, a place set apart for you that I honor you and nothing else. I don't allow anything else in that time. See, they built a chamber, a, a room, if you will, up on the top of their house. You know what I love about that? She built it in a place where he wouldn't be distracted by everything that was going on down on the street. She built him a place that was above all the chaos where he could go and be apart and be alone with the Lord. And she entreated him to come in. You know what's beautiful for us in our relationship with the Lord? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But do you know this? You can live in a house with someone and still not have communion with him. I see it all the time. I see it in couples who are struggling and their marriages are struggling. And you know what I see? They live two independent lives and they cohabitate together. Wow. So what are you saying? What are you saying? We can have Holy Spirit living in our spirit. When you're born again, he lives inside of you. And yet we never spend any time communicating. We never spend any time with him. And then we wonder why we seem so, uh, things seem such disarray in our lives and we wonder why this is not well and this is not well and the whole time Holy Spirit's there and he said, all I'm asking you to do is spend some time with me. All I'm asking you to do is spend some time with me. Listen, not to get answers, not to get knowledge, but to get to know him. I tell couples when we meet with them for marriage, I say, if you'll never stop dating, you'll never end up in divorce court. What do you mean? You know, when you're, when you're dating, you're, you're in pursuit. Point blank. You're in pursuit. You're putting your best foot forward. You're looking good. You're doing the sweet stuff. You know what I mean? Man, you looking at me with a clueless look. <laughs> I am concerned. I'm very concerned. Men in your short fuses... You don't let them see it. You know what I mean? Come on, somebody. Yeah, thank you. It's true. We, if we keep that perspective, just like when we get born again, when we first accept Jesus in our heart, and we know that we were lost, that we were on our way to hell, we know that, that we were empty without him, and he comes to live on the inside of us. We can't tell it enough. We can't think about it enough. We wake up in the morning, and we go, man, God, save me. I don't even understand what that means. I don't even know all that it entails, much less this we preach about the kingdom coming and what Justin brought about. God, he was showing, Jesus was showing, I'm bringing my kingdom with me and it's new. We were singing, he makes all things new. You don't have to understand all that. You don't have to have 30 Bible verses memorized, but when you get born again and you become a new creature, a new creation, you're not worried about how well you can articulate it. What you're just thinking in your heart is somebody's gotta know. Somebody has to know what took place on the inside of me. And you know what you do? You'll run like a kid who just learned how to run. You'll stumble, you'll fall, 
But the passion of the relationship that you have is so real, you'll get back up and you'll keep running. That's what he's after. That's what he's after. He's after not our perfection, not that we get everything right. If you wait till you get it right, you'll never do it. The same is true in our walk. It's not that we get it perfect. This woman, she honored the man of God when she saw him. She started simple. Just turn in. When you come by, just know you've got a place to eat. And then as he continued to come by, she said, no, I want to make a place for him so when he comes in, he can rest. That's honor. She said, I'm going to set a place aside just for him so that when he comes in, he has a place to rest. So she did that. And Elijah began to think because of this great thing that he had done for her, he said, what can we do? And Gehazi, his servant, said this, said, well, she doesn't have a son and her husband is old. I don't know what old means, but it was really to the places you read it that she didn't think, she thought that she was probably past that, that joy of having that. So Elijah calls her in. He, he asked her, he says, what can I do for you? She says, nothing, I'm good. I just wanted, she, listen to that. She just wanted to honor him. She didn't do it to manipulate him. She did it to honor him. And here's what I'm telling you. You might, have, you might have serious needs in your life. There might need, be some areas in your life that need change, real change. But if, you'll desire, if your desire is just to be with him, not to get from him, as you spend time with him, you watch what he does. He says, you delight yourself in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. As we delight in him, he said, I'll give you the desires of your heart. So she delighted in this man who wasn't the Lord. She delighted in him. She made provision for him. She honored him. And he said, what do you want? She said, I'm good. She had such a humble heart. She said, I'm good. I don't need anything. And he, he dismissed her. And then he asked Gehazi, he said, what can we do for her? And Gehazi said, this is all in the next few verses. I stopped reading. But Gehazi said, well, she doesn't have a son and her husband's old. Elijah, come back in. This was bold. She called her back in and she came in and he said, this time next year, you'll have a son in your arms. He didn't say a baby, he said a son. And she said, don't tease me. That's my, my uh, annotated version. Don't pull my leg, man of God. I'll tear your room down. <laughs> no, she didn't say that. <laughs> you come back, you won't have a room. You mess with me. He said, this time next year, you'll have a child so, uh, verse uh, 15 is where he said, he called her, and when, when he called her, and he, she stood in the doorway, then he said, about this time next year, you will embrace the son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, and Elisha had told, as, of which Elijah had told her. Verse 18, and the child grew. Now, it happened that one day that she went out he went out to his father and to the reaper. So she's in the house. The little boy goes out with his father. And uh, as he's with his father, he tells his dad, he said, my head hurts really bad. And they took him back to his mother. And the little boy died in the mother's arm. And uh, see, but it began, here's what I want you to understand. This woman knew the Lord because she knew the man of God. Are you with me? 
I just want us to understand the, the sequence of things that took place. She knew the Lord. She honored the Lord, so she honored the man. As she honored the man, she made, when he would come by, she said, this isn't good enough. We need to do more. So she made more. Her heart was to honor the man. It wasn't to get from him. She never said, if I do this, I'll get a son. So when she honored the Lord and, and she got a son, her attention was so on the Lord and honoring him, and she knew that as she honored the Lord, he was blessing her. So when they, she brings the son, when they bring the son to her, and the son dies in her lap, because of the place of honor she had given the man of God, she didn't lose her mind. Let me say it this way. When we give honor to the Lord and we give him that place in our life and something comes up that we're not expecting, we won't fall apart. Why? The situation may not be what we were wanting. It may not look good, but we know God and he is good. And we know that if we just take it before him, everything's going to be all right. And that's what she did. She said here, um, verse 21, so she, Verse 20, when they had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. So he didn't fall asleep. He did what? He died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me to the, and one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon or the Sabbath. This is another thing that shows that they were spiritual, religious, if you will, they, people, because he understood it, that those two times, it was times that you could go see a prophet, you could go worship there and, and be ministered to there. And he said, that's not it's, not, it's neither of those times right now. And here's what she said. So he said, why are you going to him today? It's neither the, then she saddled, and she said, it is well. She said, what? Was it well? In the natural, right, in the natural was it well. What had she just done? She had just laid her baby, her dead son, on the bed of the prophet. What about this? What if she had never taken time to offer him food? What if she had never taken time to build him a room? (laughs) See, the time that she had invested here gave her a place to put her son so she laid her son there. She knew who this man was. She had heard of him, and she knew who this man was. So she said, I'll lay him here. She went to her husband. He said, is everything all right? She said, it's good. Here's what I want you to understand. Women, help me. I, I, I'm, a man, I'm a man who's not afraid of his emotions. If you're new here and you don't know that about me, I'll just tell you, I'm not afraid of my emotions. If I feel like crying, I'll cry. I ain't scared. But work with me, women. Women typically are more emotional than men, right? That's why they live longer. Do you know that? That's a fact. Women live longer than men traditionally. You know why? Because men internalize everything and women just let it out. That's a fact. That's a medical fact. Wow. So she goes to her husband. Think with me, women, in the natural. Now, I'm not being spiritual. We know the story. I'm not being spiritual. If you just laid your dead baby on the bed and you went to your husband and said, I need to go see the man of God, and he said, what's wrong? It's good. If you didn't believe that, would your face tell him that? Would 
If you did not believe everything was okay, you would have worry all over your face, is what I'm saying. You would try, it's good. Now here's something I know about couples. Husbands and wives, if something's going on with your mate and they say it's okay, what does that mean? It's not okay. Nine times out of 10. (laughs) Yeah, everybody woke up on that one. Thank you, Jesus. And what's wrong? Preach, preacher, you got them now. <laughs> Everything okay? Yes, what's wrong? Nothing. But what can you, my wife reads me like a book. It can be just a little something going on that I'm processing. I'm not down, I'm not depressed or anything like that. I'm just processing something and I think I'm good. I think I got it covered. And she'll say, so what is it? And I go, what do you mean? <laughs> So that's not gender specific, just so you know. It's not just the women who say nothing. Men, you know how quiet it is up in this place. (laughs) Jesus, help me. She'll say, what's wrong? Nothing. And she'll say, yes, it is. Just like that. She doesn't let up. You know why? Because she knows me. So what I'm saying is this woman went to this man, her husband, she had to, uh, he knew that the son wasn't good, right? Because the son had been with him, had been sick, so he sent him to his mother. And then she comes and said, I need to go see the man of God. He said, what's wrong? He, she said, it's good. Everything's good. If she didn't believe that, he would have known and he said, what? No, what is it? Right? She said, it's well. So he said, okay, go. And she told the guy driving the donkey, she said, we're gonna wear this donkey out. You don't let up unless I tell you to let up. So different people tell different things. One could say, said, one scholar says he could have, one school of thought, not the scholar, one school of thought says he would have run out in front of the donkey with the donkey. Others said he would have been behind the donkey, hitting it with a stick, getting the donkey to go. Either way, they were making haste. She said, don't, don't let up unless I tell you to. It, it's around 25 miles where she went. To, where she went. And you know, here's another thing. Come on. Jesus, you're so good. She knew where to go to look for him. Because when he would come through, he might be going to Gilgal, he might be going to Jericho, he might be going to Bethel where they had schools of the prophets, or he might be going to Mount Carmel where Elijah performed this amazing miracle and and Baal and all his lies were exposed because they would go and meet there and just worship at Carmel. How many of you know that'd be a good place to worship where God openly defeated all of his enemies? And she said, I'm going to Carmel. So she knew him enough to know where he'd be. Come on, somebody. What did Jesus say in John chapter five? He said, I only do what I see my father doing. I spend enough time with him, I know where he's going. I know what he's doing. (laughs) I know where he's going. She knew where to go. Help us, Jesus. It could have taken some people a lifetime to find that man. (laughs) Because they had no idea where he was. Just saying. She went, and she, uh, so it says, verse 25, and so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to, the servant, to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? 
is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? So he was covering what? All the bases. He was covering all the bases. Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your son all right? And she answered, it is well. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but but, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So this woman came, and when she came in and she grabbed hold of him, he said, there's something for real going on right here. And listen to this. This isn't the Holy Spirit. This is Elijah, a man. He said, God hadn't revealed it to me yet. So I've got, I've got to know. You may not know all the time, child of God. And there's nothing wrong with asking questions. He said, no, don't push her away, because that was not protocol. She wasn't supposed to uh, come and grab hold of his feet. Again, I said Elisha is a type of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful how she came and fell at his feet? Do we see that in the New Testament? Yes, that they fell at Jesus' feet. And when they did, they were healed. They were made whole. They were made well. So she fell at his feet. And uh, so he said, um, verse 27, now when she came to the man of God, the healed, I'm, I've already read that. Verse 28, so she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. This woman right here wasn't playing no games. She knew that he's the one that said, you're going to have a son. So she knew he had an answer. And you know what? She, Gehazi didn't phase her. When he said, Gehazi, take my staff. You know what the staff was in that day? It was this uh, symbol of his authority. She, did, she said, you know, it reminds me of the, the, demon, the demons that got cast out the, and the, the sons of Sceva were casting, trying to cast out devils. And they said, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? This woman said, Elisha I know, Elijah I heard of, I don't know Gehazi. I'm not leaving, I'm not going with Gehazi. And the Lord spoke to me so clear with this. He said, you can't take somebody else's anointing and do what he told you to do. Because Gehazi, and here's another thing the Lord showed me with Gehazi. You look at Elisha who followed Elijah, and Elisha said, I see what's on your life, and I've, I've laid my life down for it, I want it. And Elijah said, Okay, you can have it if you see me when I go. Here's Gehazi, who's traveling with the man who did twice as many miracles as uh, Elijah did, and we never see that same passion or pursuit in Gehazi's life. All he ever saw himself was was just his helper. That's sad. He saw twice as much stuff as Elisha saw, but didn't have a desire to get it. Are you with me? He didn't have a desire to pursue it. And so here's Gehazi, he goes ahead, he takes the rod, he goes ahead, and uh, verse 31, now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor near hearing, therefore he went back to, to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. When Elijah came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed, verse 33, listen to this, this is so beautiful. 
Verse 30, you say, well, that's just your words you see right now. No, I'm telling you, there's something. Verse 33, he went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Where did Elisha go? He went in the secret place. Where did Elisha go? What was that place built for? For Elijah to rest and go before the Lord. So Elisha did what was familiar to him. At this point, had Elijah raised anyone from the dead? No. So did Elisha try to formulate something? No. You know what he did? He did what was familiar to him. Listen to me. He did what was familiar to him. What was familiar? Go in, shut the door, and spend time with the Lord. He went in the secret place. He didn't know. It wasn't revealed to him what was going on with the woman, but he said this. He said, now, that took me by surprise. You ever been taken by surprise? He said, that took me by surprise, but now I know what to do. I need to get away from distraction, and I need to get along with the Lord in the secret place. He spent time in the secret place there with the Lord. And uh, where was it? Verse 34, and he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth. You know he heard from the Lord. I'm just saying. He went up, he laid down on the child and he put his mouth on the child's mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands and he stretched himself on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went and stretched himself out on him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her and when <clears throat> she was come into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. You know, one of the things the Lord showed me as I was, I was looking at this, when the woman, uh, when the woman came and Elijah, backing up some, when Elisha says, do you want me to talk? And I just blew right past this, so I'm going to pick it up. He said, do you want me to talk to the king on your behalf? Do you want me to talk to the commander on your behalf? So, when Elijah asked her what he could do for her, when he didn't know what she needed after she had built this room, he, had, he said, what can I do for her? You know, what he was, you know what he was presenting her? Do you need financial help or do you need protection? And you know what she said? Nope, my family takes care of me. Oh, that's good. I hate I blew past it because now it's kind of anticlimactic after I just raised a boy from the dead. <laughs> <clears throat> but I want you to understand, she said, he asked her, do you need provision or protection? And she said, no, nope, I've got family. That's the importance of community. That's the importance of being connected in a family to where it's not just, oh, I go to that church. But no, I go to that family and I'm part of that family. We're connected because with this woman, she said, no, my protection and my provision is taken care of because I'm connected in family. You know, I can take you over to Acts chapter two when the church was birthed, if you will, uh, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them in Acts chapter two. And it says there near the end of Acts chapter two that they had all things in common. You know what that means? That they, they looked after each other in provision, and in protection. That's good. 
that is so good that God said, what I've got for you is already, uh, it's already there. You just got to get connected to it. It's just like the light switch in your house. You don't, you don't call Duke Power and say, hey, will you turn my lights on if you've paid your power bill and you got power. You know what you got to do? You got to make the connection. By flipping the switch, what you do is you make the connection. And the same thing here. She had made a connection with family, with community. So when, when Elijah presented her with material things, she said, nope, I'm good. I got that. And so the Lord gave her something that she couldn't do just through community. He gave her a miracle. And I think sometimes miracles come through community. Because we're connected. So I want you to understand, when, when I look here and I see what's going on, there was honor. She honored the Lord. She honored the man of God. And I'm not saying that about me. Uh, here's the thing. Then the, the man of God was the, had the anointing upon him. Now children of God had the spirit of God, the anointing within them. There's a difference. Then there were men that were picked by God, that were highlighted by God, that had the spirit of God upon them. He didn't live in them. He lived upon them. And they would do these signs, wonders, and miracles. But Jesus said, when I leave, it's imperative that I go so that I can give you the Holy Spirit. And he'll live in you. So it's not just honoring the preacher. I'm thankful for it's humbling what we're doing here. And I want you know, I didn't ask for that. It, it was hard on me to do that uh, but I understand honor, and it's not about Todd Martin. It's about the position. It's about what God's doing and what he will do when we open ourselves to any position and allow God to speak to us through that person. And I want to say this. I want to stretch you a little bit. And I want you to hear me out. I'm not saying that everybody on the earth is saved, but I am saying everybody on the earth is created in the image of God. And I am saying you can learn from anyone. You can receive from anyone. They can be the biggest heathen, atheist, whatever. You can learn from them. If you have a heart open, not to their sorceries, not to their deceptions, but you have a heart open to say, Jesus, that's a spirit, and that spirit's going to live forever. And you see them as a spirit, and you go, God, there's something you can show me that you can teach me. There's something that there's some part of you in this person that I need to see. And if we'll open ourselves up to that, just as Tish said, Tish said then we'll, we'll be the richer for it. And we'll have more to give because we've received more. And we'll be able to see people for who he sees them for. And we'll be able to speak to them in a way we've never spoken to them before. Because we're looking past the natural into the spiritual. And we're seeing them as he sees them. And then we can minister to them the way he wants to. And we can even be ministered to. Yeah. We can be ministered to if we'll allow it. So Elisha went in the secret place and he laid on this little boy eye to eye, nose to nose, mouth to mouth. And God's life came back, the boy's life came back into him. And Elisha said, just open the door and says, woman, come get your son. See, and here's the other thing. Elisha, because of the time he had spent with the Lord, we don't have an account that Elisha wigged out either. Are you with me? Elisha said, he prayed, he went into the secret place and he prayed, he said, God, what are we, we going to do? What are we going to do? 
And the Lord said, here's what you're going to do. And, and Elijah positioned himself to bring forth a miracle. And just as we started out, God's asking us, I'm not asking you to perform the miracle, but I'm asking you to position yourself where I can perform a miracle through you. That's God's heart for us. It's not in our ability, it's in our availability to say, God, here I am. You can use me. I don't have it figured out. I don't have all the answers, but I know the answer and his name is Jesus. And when I see that, as I said, the Lord took me over into Acts chapter two. And, and I say this intentionally because God's doing so much in our church right now. We're seeing people go out. I, I pray and we give you opportunities to give because I want you to partner with what God's doing. What God's doing in Guatemala right now, the miracles they've seen, that's great. The salvations they've seen amazing. The people that have gathered there, if you've looked at it all, you see, you've seen the crowd grow and you've seen the people uh, come to know the Lord. And Ben was, was chatting with us the other day, uh, messaging us. And he was just talking about, he said, man, it was, it was hard. He said, it was like hitting a rock with a hammer. And, uh, but they were persistent because God's word will not return to him void. One of the testimonies, one of the videos he had is a woman who hadn't walked in how many years? Anybody? 16 years. And they prayed for her. The woman stood up and walked. And while she was walking, my understanding, a cancerous tumor in her stomach disappeared. You know why? They were obedient to go. You know, I'm going to tell you something. I don't say this arrogantly. I just say, as a matter of fact, we sowed into that trip. We gave for that trip. We sowed a, a, a sacrificial seed into that. So as I was looking at that, my heart swelled up and I go, Jesus, that, that's harvest. That's harvest of what I sowed into right there. So when we give you opportunities to give, it's not because we want your money. It's because we want you to be blessed. Because this is what the kingdom does. That's how the kingdom works. She understood that. So she spent money to feed the man. She spent money to build him a place because she understood that there's harvest. It's not lost seed. It's sown seed. And she reaped not just a birth, but a resurrection. You know what? God's saying there's some things you won't be birthed in your life. There's some things that need to be resurrected in your life. It's not about how much money you give. It's about your obedience and your willingness to say, God, I can let go of something to get what you want me to have. Preach, preacher. And in that faithfulness to say, God, here it is. So when I listen to what, what's going on over there with Ben and with Scott, I'm excited. I'm not there physically, but I'm there because I've, I've sown into that. And when I see those people who haven't heard the gospel before, hear the gospel, I go, Jesus, that's amazing. We've got, we're sowing into Africa. You know we sow into the Dominican Republic. We're going to begin to sow into Hawaii. You know, I'm sowing to Hawaii so I can go to Hawaii. I want to sow where I can go. So I'm going to give money so it can get there before I do and make a way for me that there be a chamber for I can come and for I can sit and be before the Lord. I'm sorry. The spirit came all over me. I don't know which one it was. But we're going to support uh, 
Justin and Brooke and their family as they go to Hawaii to be trained to go who knows where all over the world. We as a church are going to support them. We as individuals, my wife and I, we're going to support them. Why am I telling you this? Because I believe that when we sow somewhere that's not ours, God says, I'll make a way for something you didn't even know you could have. This woman didn't even have a son on her mind. She didn't have a son on her mind, but she said, that's a man of God, and I want to honor God, and I want to honor the man, and God said, I'll give you something that you didn't even tell anybody about, because you thought they'd think you were stupid, because your husband's old, but it's not too big for me. It's not too big for me. So when we realize that we can let go of stuff only to gain, not to lose it, but to sow it, and when we do that, God says, now I'm not just going to give you back what you gave. I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to multiply it. So I'm expecting that to happen in Guatemala. This is going to be multiplied. That what God is doing there, it's going to be multiplied. That what God is doing in Africa, it's going to be multiplied. We give faithfully to Africa, and God is changing lives in Africa. These kids who are in the slums are able to go to school and able to learn about the word and uh, to know God. Their whole culture is shifting. You know why? Because this small church in Gibsonville, North Carolina, said we believe in this and that, God, you can make a change. We give to the Dominican because God birthed something there that was bigger than us, and he's still doing something there that's bigger than us. So much so that Stephen and Mel said, we're going to sow 11 weeks of our lives into this because we believe in it. It doesn't make sense in the natural, but they said, this is what God's told us to do. We're going to do it. Man, when we honor him it makes a place in our heart that's bigger than we thought could be so that God can bring more of him in and do what he wants to do in us and through us amen Amen. so I want to encourage you from Elisha that that as we make room for the spirit of God the presence of God for that he is a priority in our lives as we we do that with time we do that with attention intentionality, we do it on purpose, not when we have time. We do it with finances. You know, (laughs) men, well, you tell your woman you love her, but you can show her too. And that doesn't have to be always what you buy. It'd be what you do and how you love them, not just with words. Because grandma said, talk is cheap. We're easy to say what we want people to hear. It's something totally different to live what nobody hears and live it before the Lord and watch what he does. So I want to encourage you that as we make place for him, as we pursue him, as we give unto him, that what we're doing is we're putting something forward. It's not paying it forward. It's bigger than that because we don't have to pay. He paid the price. What we're doing is sowing. And here's the thing about sowing that's so beautiful. If you sow uh, a, a grain of wheat, you don't get one grain of wheat. If you sow a grain of corn, you don't get one grain of corn. What do you get? You get a, a, a stalk that has ears, and in those ears are many grains. That's the way God works. Isn't that beautiful? That's how he works. That's what this woman, she said, I want to feed the man. I want to make room for the man. And if she did, God said, I'm going to give you a son, and I'm going to resurrect that son. So we talked about this, let's stand. We talked about this earlier, and uh, Tish had us stretch out our hands 
to believe for that, that thing, uh, that new thing, and, and I'm not exactly sure how she worded it, but here's what I feel like the Lord is saying. If there's things in your life, maybe dreams, that have died, he said, I want you to make room for me. I want you to make room for me, not to get your thing back, but to get to know me, because if there's some, sometimes things die in our life that need to die. Uh, how can you, like if you've got a cancer on your skin, it needs to what? Thank you. So some things need to die. And there are things that have died. It could have been out of our mistake. It could have been out of our misuse, whatever. But the Lord says, I can resurrect that if you'll give it to me. If you'll love me enough to let go of it and give it back to me, I can do something with it. So I really believe God is in this house today. He's wanting to do some new things. He's wanting to do something that's beyond what you ever thought. But I also believe he wants to resurrect some dreams. So close your eyes. And I just want you to ask the Lord, God, what is that dream? What is that thing that I felt like you had told me to do and, and maybe the enemy's told you, nope, it's too late. God, what's that thing that, that I, I felt compelled that was you and I let it pass by and, and I just feel like now it's too late, that thing's dead. I believe God's wanting to resurrect some things. I believe God's wanting to resurrect some dreams some, some uh, hopes. The Lord's had me on hope a lot here lately. I think where the enemy steals, what he steals first and foremost is hope. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. If he can steal your hope where it seems hopeless and you just get caught in this trap, it's always been this way, it'll always be this way, then you get hung up and, you, and God, you lose hope and it takes away the connection for faith to bring anything. So I'm just praying. I want to pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are.